Impact, Income, and Influence. Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show helping you reach millions of people, millions of dollars in your bank account, and lots and lots of positive energy. I'm excited for today's show because the expert that I have for you today shows you how to become bulletproof to criticism. If you've ever had a hater online, if you've ever got that support email come through and you're like, oh my goodness, and it breaks your heart, we're going to deal with how to protect yourself today, how to overcome that, how to turn that into a positive. I definitely believe that haters confirm greatness, but we need to be able to take that internally and get to that point. Bill Lee Emery, my friend from across the pond, joining us bright and early from Australia. How are you doing? Um, great. Thank you, Steve. And it is a big pond that we are on the other side of. <laughs> it is. Um, so, Bill, you got started with this. You used to lead quite a few workshops around Australia, specifically with men's groups, helping them overcome things. And you kept from what you told me, you kept hearing over and over again that they were having challenges around criticism. So where did this start for you? And like, how did that conversation go? So yeah, I've been running workshops um, in men's gatherings for the last nine years in Australia. And I had been doing a couple of workshops and I've been doing them again, again, again. I was getting a bit bored. So, you know, what's next? Um, there's always something else to explore in life. And I happened to be listening to conversations around the lunch table. And I, I just noticed that there seems to be a pattern emerging. And some of the men were talking about how, how they found it a challenge to deal with criticism, either from their partners or their kids or people at work or if they ran their own business, maybe people in the industry. And I have some experience of dealing with criticism early on in my in my career and I thought hey there's some things that I've gathered through my life that could be really handy here so the next year I ran a workshop on how to be bulletproof from criticism and it went down really well I had a great time they had a great time which is always a good indication that uh, you, you're kind of hitting the mark so uh, from then I was um, sitting around meditating as you do thinking you know what's next and a book came to mind, I'm, you know, write another book. I've written four books already. And I was thinking, well, what am I going to write on? And then it came to me in a blinding flash of the obvious. I've run the programs that have been successful, just turn it into a book. And so I did. And I wanted to make sure it wasn't going to be an academic download. I want to make sure that it was practical, that it was easy to read, and it, you can read the book within two hours. So I didn't want to make the massive war and peace thing because I wouldn't <laughs> read that. Um, <laughs> but I read something that's short, to the point. It's got my own personal stories. Um, but, but one thing I want to say is the wisdom that's in the book didn't originate from me. It originated from one of my mentors and other mentors in my life. And, and as an entrepreneur, all of us, we've had mentors, at least I hope we have, otherwise we'll be kind of delusional, but mentors can really kind of steer you on the right path and take you away from the jungle of distractions and all the rest of that stuff that can happen. So I want to make sure that, um, that this wisdom that I've gained from others gets passed on. Yes, it's my voice, 
but truly it's a wisdom from other people. I mean, that is awesome. First off, you know that the stuff worked because you tested it in the workshops. You got great feedback there. And to your point about the flash of the obvious, right? Sometimes things <laughs> are right in front of our face. So yeah, absolutely. I would love to hear like, it, you always hear, I, I grew up with sisters and they would always tell me like, you, you, you don't seem to feel very much. You're not a feelings type person, or you don't, you don't share when things are going wrong. You don't share when things are going right. You just always seem so at peace. And I think we internalize a lot. So the first thing I want to ask is how do you get people to start to open up to their feelings? Because how do you get them to say like, that actually hurt me? Because I think the first thing, if somebody criticizes me, like this was me in high school, for sure. I just put up a wall. That person's yeah. dumb. I'm not listening to them. And that is not the way to be emotionally intelligent and to actually learn because you can learn a lot from criticism. It is uh, who somebody, I think it was Tyler Perry said like criticism is the seed of greatness. I don't remember who that was, but it's like, if you take the criticism and take the nugget of knowledge, you can grow a lot. So I'd love to hear, how do you actually pull down that wall and allow yourself to be vulnerable and hear the criticism? Yeah, so um, I have to say, in all of this, this is an inner game. It's an inside game. There's the world doing the things that it does, but it's our own internal responses <coughs> that really are key here. So someone can insult me and that's just something that happens, but it's what I do with the insult that will either uh, have me crumble or make me grow from it. And coming back to this thing about, you know, how do you get past the wall? In the men's work that I've done in Australia, one of the big things that we have, that it's um, these men's gatherings happen twice a year probably one of the most sacred and respectful spaces I've been in for me. And the reason that is so is we have very clear boundaries of how we behave. And one of the key things is emotional safety. And so when we're in a circle talking and we have like a, a talking stick, mm -hmm. and so whoever is holding the talking stick gets to talk. No one interrupts. No one does any side talking. And we use a lot of I statements. So rather than, you know, you, they, them, whatever, us, it's I feel. So we take ownership of our own internal emotional responses to life. And we don't advise, we don't tell people what we do, we don't philosophize. So we allow people to have a space where they can express without anyone interrupting. And that gives people and for you know for a lot of men it's like weird you know they used to jump people jump again especially if they're like like sisters brothers or whatever um, and so they just have the space where they can they can be in silence and everyone will listen to the silence it's quite an amazing space so once anyone you know like let's say as a child a child is upset they've been hurt whatever it might be and they go crying to mum and dad What's the first thing that they need? They're boarding eyes. What's the first thing that they need? The first thing is inside of safety. The first yeah. thing, I mean, I like the safe space, but I would say permission. They need to have somebody say it's okay. Yeah. So, how's the best way that a parent does that? 
I don't know, probably physical connection. Yeah, they give probably them a hug. Like, yeah. yeah. And the okay. hug, the hug tells the child, you're safe. We're going to protect you. And once the child feels safe, then they're likely to stop crying. In other words, they emotionally kind of ground themselves again. Then they mm -hmm. can express whatever's going on. But if a parent says to a child, well, what's wrong with you? Well, the child is going to clam up because there's no safety there. So in the same way, it is with us. If someone attacks me, criticizes me, if I don't have internal safety, if I don't know how to emotionally protect myself, then I'm done for, then I'm a puppet on a string, then I'm going to crumble, I'm going to cave in, whatever it might be. So the first thing is, how do you do emotional safety on the inside? And I, I go into this in the book and, and talk about this, but I, I like to kind of give some prompters if I like, if you like. Yeah. And, and, and that is, um, one of the models I use in the book is called transactional analysis, which is, came out of the 1960s, uh, early 70s. And they talk about the parental part of us, the adult and the child part of us. And the parent has got two parts. One is the critical parent. That's a you should, you must, you have, and this kind of you know, pointed finger and the authority figure. And it's all full of shoulds and musts and you have to, and a certain tone of voice. And that tone of voice, by the way, is the kind of voice that when we're older is our internal critic and tells us we're no good, we're dumb, we're stupid, we're this, that, and the other like our own internal critic. But on the mm -hmm. other side of that, there's a nurturing parent. And this is the part of us which is emotionally supportive, which is kind, which is tolerant, which is gentle, which is soft. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and I work with a lot of um, elite athletes. I work with people in business at very high levels. I've worked with multimillionaires. And, you know, it doesn't matter what someone's status is or what they've done in life. Often people have this little internal critic that's just going, ying, ying, ying. you're not good enough, you're not allowed, and all this kind of, and now, here's two things. One is the, the over-criticism is one thing, but what's worse is the little whispering, the one that you don't really hear, but it's just underneath the surface. And so, because it's kind of out of our awareness, but it still has our effect. So mm -hmm. coming back to this is if we are emotionally open, if we understand that as human beings, we feel fear, anger, sadness, and joy, and all the myriad of emotions that come from those four basic ones, and that every emotion is okay. Every single emotion is okay. But it's how we deal with them, how we manage them. So our nurturing parent can give us that emotional support to, to be who we are, to express what we want to express and have internal safety. Because if we don't have internal safety, we are stuffed. We're just roadkill. <laughs> so, I mean, you just uncovered a lot that doesn't even have to do with external criticism. Let's just start with internal criticism. So I work with a lot of very high-functioning people. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's usually, I'm trying to put a dollar amount on it because I've interviewed, so I've interviewed now more than 200 millionaires, self-made millionaires wow. who did it through business. And they, most of them are emotionally intelligent. I'm trying to figure out where that point is because I deal with a lot, 
I talked to a lot of people who also are in the, we'll call it the starter phase. They're probably sub $60,000 and they're beating themselves up nonstop. And I feel like there's some point where you become okay. And I don't honestly think that it has a dollar amount attached to it. I think it has a success, like the moment that you start to be successful, but I would love your thoughts specifically. I mean, you went through like that you need to be internally okay. How do you shut down some of the inner critic or that whisper voice? Is it just huh. being okay? Or is there an actual tool that you use? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, and and I, and I kind of explore this more in the book, but I want to give you, uh, you know, because we can talk for days. Well, I can talk for days. I'm sure we could both talk for days. So here's the thing. And this is one of the things I learned from, one of my mentors a long, long time ago. And when I first heard it, I thought, well, that's obvious. But unless something, you know, it's common sense, but unless someone explains it to you, it kind of goes past and you don't really pick it up. So I've got a pen in my hand. And let's say I create this pen from my own design, my own hands. And I mm -hmm. say to the world, hey, world, I've just made this pen. What do you think of it? And the pen could be a book. It could be an idea. It could be a new product. It could be a new service. It could be any of the entrepreneurial things that we can do as human beings. And someone says, well, Bill, i got to say, that's a lousy pen. That's a shithouse pen. Does that make me a lousy shithouse person? No. No. Because, no, absolutely not. Because they're talking about the pen. They're talking mm -hmm. about the pen. And if someone says, well, Bill, that's the most beautiful pen in the whole wide world, does that make me the most beautiful person in the whole wide world? Well, no, because they're talking about the pen. So one of the things we need to do as entrepreneurs is to be able to separate the pen from ourselves. In other words, to separate who we are and our behavior. Because I may have created the pen, but I am not the pen. So if someone is criticizing my idea, my product, my service, whatever, my, my piece of art, I need to separate and say they're talking about the pen, they're not talking about me. But this is what a lot of people do, is they take the pen, I'm holding it um, about like 12 inches ahead of me, and they put it really close to their heart. So when someone criticizes the pen and says it's a lousy shithouse pen, internally they say, I'm a lousy shithouse person because they haven't separated the person, their behavior from who they are. So once you understand when someone is criticizing what you've done, that's like they're talking about the pen, they're not talking about you. But even if they are talking about you, there are some things that you can do to make sure that it doesn't wound you. Now let's come back to the pen. Mm -hmm. Whether I say it's a lousy pen or a beautiful pen, is that a fact? Or is that an opinion? Opinion. Yeah. The fact of the matter is this is a blue pen with some white writing on. So if someone says that's a lousy pen or beautiful pen, again, that's their opinion. So I need, again, on the inside of me to, be dis to distinguish between a fact and an opinion. And when I hear, I don't know how it is in your country, but in my country, when I hear a politician say the fact of the matter is, I know they're going to try and sell me their opinion. And um, a lot of opinions from the politicians here in Australia. Uh, well, let's not go into politics, but um, 
It's full right. of bullshit. <laughs> they just full of bullshit. They just want to sell so they can get into power, blah, 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 blah. So when someone criticizes me again, okay, let's say, for example, Steve, let's say you call me a goose or something worse, but let's just keep it clean. So you call me a goose. So two things. I need to work out, well, have I just sprouted feathers? Have I just started walking with a waddle? Am I making honking noises? In which case, maybe I've turned into a goose, but I haven't noticed. In which case, thanks very much, Steve. I'll go and see a vet. I'll go and see a doctor. So again, is it, is it a fact or is it an opinion? Have I actually turned into a goose? Or is that just your opinion of me? Now, here's the other thing, especially with trolls, especially with all the online stuff that we have. Someone attacks me on Twitter, Facebook, whatever it might be. I don't know them. I have no emotional connection to them. And yet they say something about me. If I'm not able to distinguish between a fact and opinion, I can take their opinion and crumble. Now, then I have to work out whose opinion of me am I going to honor? It's going to be some twit on the other side of the planet who I never meet. <laughs> And, um, you know, works in the dark of night and, and doesn't have the, 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 the courage to show their identity or am I going to, or am I kind of honor my opinion about myself? And this comes down to, uh, you know, about sovereignty of who we are as human beings. Now, when we're little kids, we don't really have too much of a comparison between, you know, who we are as a young person. We develop that through our teenage years, through our 20s, and even 30s, we kind of work out who we are. But we have to have a, a realistic evaluation of the validity of us as a human being. And when you get to that point when you can truly honour yourself with no exaggeration or, or diminishing, but just a, a clear honouring of who we are and who we have become, that the opinions of other people's matter less. And then we can stand firm in our own, okay, this is my idea, this is my opinion, this is what I've done, you can like it or not, and here I am. Hey, thanks for taking a moment to check out this episode of Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show helping you reach millions. Have you ever thought about building your own webinar or using public speaking to reach your ideal audience? Well, if you'd like my help with it, over the last several years, I have built more than 40 live events for clients just like you. In the last 18 months, I've helped 32 entrepreneurs build their webinar with over $5 million in cumulative sales. If you'd like to see how I can work with you, or if you'd be interested in having me speak at your event or be on your podcast, go to steven.coffee, that's S-T-E-V-E-N.C-O-F-F-E-E, -E -E, to book a short call with me and see how we can work together. All right, let's jump back to the episode. So that's, I mean, that is very good advice. And I agree with it. Standing in who you are and having a firm belief and honoring yourself, good boundaries, because then it allows you, you can let in other ideas. You can talk yes. to people about their ideas. I want to go back though. I, I'm, I'm going to call this out because I want, I think this is one of the biggest things. It was one of the biggest things when I learned, how did, how do you help people shut down the whisper or the inner critic? How do you uh, yeah. help people get out of huh. that? Good question. Good question. Okay. Um, I was actually talking to a client about this the other day. And what happens is, you know, the phrase, 
keep your friends closer and your enemies closer. Mm -hmm. Do you know, why would we say keep your enemies closer? Why would we do that? Well, the simple reason is if your enemy is on the other side of the planet, you can't see them, you can't get close to them, you can't find out what's going on with them. But if your enemy is right in front of you, you can feel them. You can taste their breath almost. It's so close. And thus, you can get more information about them. Mm-hmm. So my, the first book I wrote is um, called Stop Procrastinating. And for a lot of people that I've you know, worked with and dealt with, um, procrastination is a part of them. It's a behavior. And it's kind of like a part of them that they tend to push away and because it's not so pretty. It's not the pretty, gorgeous, lovely part of us. It's like the ugly, now nah, I'm going to, you know, get in your way and stop you from doing the things that you want to do. So we push it away. So in the field of work that I do, there's a phrase which is called tend and befriend. Now, when we're under stress, we can do fight or flight um, or we can capitulate. But the other way of dealing with it when you're under stress is to bring the so-called enemy, let's say part of us that's procrastination or the part of us that's the inner critic, and bring it closer and bring it closer. And it's kind of like you invite it down for a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and you sit down as part of you and you say, hey, I've been pushing you away. And the more I push you away, the less I get to know what you're really here for. And what I really want to do is to find out what it is that you want to tell me. So let me just pause that. Mm -hmm. The bigger picture is this, that every part of us, you've got the last bit and say, okay, so I'll go back to um, to the big picture. Just pick it up, bring, bring the person closer. All right, great. So the bigger picture of this is every single part of us whether it's good, bad, ugly, whatever it might be, has a reason for being there. Otherwise, it wouldn't be part of our personality. The thing is, often we don't understand the the message that that part of us is attempting to give us. For example, let's take the inner critic. If, 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 If you sit down with your inner critic and say to it, hey, you know, you keep on ragging me about this, you're telling me off about this, and you're nagging me about this, what's underneath that? And if, coming back to the concept of safety, you're able safe to express to you, then what will happen is you'll get some insights that you never had before. And it might be something like, well, the reason I criticise that article that you wrote is because the grammar is just rubbish. Like you haven't done any grammar checks. Like, you know, you're, what you're creating is just rubbish. You, you've got better stuff to write than this drivel that you're writing. And you go, oh, okay, right. So then you go back and take that piece of the article and rewrite it. So often the inner critic is saving us from crap and criticism in the world. But we don't recognize it. All we recognize is this thing that just nagging, nagging, nagging. Let me ask you this. Um, Why do parents nag their kids to do their homework at school, at high school? Why would they nag their kids to do their homework? Because they want their kids to be smart. Yeah. Why do they want the kids to be smart? Because they want them to have a good life. Why do they want them to have a good life? Because they want the best for them. Yeah. Why do they want the best for them? Because they're their parents. Yes. Yeah, so what? I don't know if I have an answer. 
because they love them. Got it. That's why. Okay. They want to do well at school, to get to university, to get the kind of job that they want so they can have a happy, successful life. But when a kid's like 15, 16, and the parents go, have you done your homework yet? They don't go, oh, my parents just love me. They love me so much because they know I'm not taking responsibility for doing the stuff I need to do. All they get is this crap and they, and they react against it. They don't get the lesson. So if the child doesn't get the lesson at high school, then they're going to get it at university, it's going to come back. If they don't get it at university, it's going to be their first job or whatever it might be. So the criticism is not to belittle, but it's to, it's to teach a lesson for the person to come, aha, that's why I'm doing this. Right. Once, and once we get that, that's, that is priceless. And you cannot put a price on that. <laughs> you know, I'll bet some of your audience have had an idea and there was critics, external critics and internal critics, but the idea would not let them go. And even if they doubted the data, the this, the that, and opinions of other people around them, just something inside and said, keep on going, keep on going, keep. and that could have created a product that's worth millions of dollars. But if they'd listened, if they hadn't gotten the lesson maybe from criticism, they just, and so criticism is neither good nor bad. It simply is. It's what we do with it that makes the difference. And there's, um, if I can tell another story, which is probably, this is, the, if I could offer you and your audience a gem, a precious gem, it would be this concept. And it's probably one of the most precious bits of wisdom I think that I've gotten from my mentors. Mm -hmm. And how it happened was um, I was doing a year-long training program, and this is going back uh, nearly 40 years ago now that I first heard this concept. And um, my mentor, a man by the name of John Barnaby, who was teaching us about transactional analysis, parent, adult, and child. And one training workshop that we were doing, he wrote on the, on the whiteboard, life is meaningless. And we're all going, what do you mean? Life is meaningless. We're coming here to learn the meaning of life and you're telling us that life is meaningless. What do you mean? And so you went on to explain and you turn the flip chart over and you put the word event in the middle of the flip chart and put a little circle around it. And he says, life is made up of hundreds of thousands of millions of events. For example, you're walking down the street, you see a friend of yours that you know, you wave hello, and they completely ignore you. That's an event. And he said, every event in life is innocent, is meaningless. It's innocent, it's just an event. But as human beings, we place, we're compulsive. We place meaning on every single event that happens to us. So this person ignores me. One meaning I could put onto that is how rude. Don't they know me? Don't they know how important I am? Whatever it might be, blah, 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 blah. And I can make that meaning in nanoseconds. Another meaning I could make as well, he looks really distracted today. I might just check in with him, see if he's okay. So two very different meanings. And there could mm -hmm. be another dozen meanings I could place on the exact same event. And John said to us, whatever meaning you place on the event will become your reality. 
So whatever meaning we place on that event will become our reality. If I think, you know, this person that's ignoring me is a jerk, then I'll treat him like a jerk. Not that he is, but that will be my emotional reaction with him. If my pathway will, will become different. And, and then he takes two other things that really struck home. He said the first thing is that every event and the meanings that we place on them are always self-chosen. So I choose, consciously or unconsciously, the meaning I'll place on the event. Mm -hmm. Then he said the kicker, and this is probably the thing that really resonates. He says, it doesn't matter whether the meaning that you're making is true or not. He said, what matters is if the meaning that you're making is useful or not. Right. That's awesome. And I That's sat with powerful. that. I sat with that. And so I was, you know, intellectually getting my head around that and going, oh, because this is totally new to me. And then it wasn't long before I had a real life experience of this where um, I went to see my girlfriend and she made some comments um, to me. And I, and I, and I went through my my usual oh that's nasty how could you say that blah 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 and i was i was making a, an unuseful meaning about it and then i just stopped and went hang on what's a more useful meaning that i can make out of what she just said well i could make this i could do this and i chose that pathway and that pathway was way more uh, useful to me as a human being than the other one so today you know 40 years later if I get upset by something in the world, it might be something in the news, something that's happening left or whatever it might be. When I get rid of my, when I get past my angsting, my, you know, my anger, my emotional reaction, and I kind of settle down, I ask myself, so, so Bill, what's the meaning I'm making of this event? And that something will pop up. And then mm -hmm. I'll ask myself, what's underneath that meaning? And I'll think a little bit and something will pop up. And then I'll ask myself, so what's underneath that meaning? And I'll go about two or three meanings down and I'll find a really key thing that I'm, I'm making a meaning up about. And it could be from my past history. It could be because of whatever it might be. And then I ask myself, is this meaning that I'm making actually useful to me now in the present? Or is it worth me dropping and changing? And that's become my default over many, many years. And I've practiced this, you know, it's not just a one-off thing. I've been doing this for 40 years. But I've got to say, it's one of the things that's been able, that, that's helped me to deal with external criticism, internal criticism, uh, and a lot of other things too. It really helps me to well, get in ground, you know, like this is like, it's just a priceless thing anything in life just about anything can be everything. can be used through that lens so everything. bill you have shared a wealth of knowledge with us i can just imagine what is in the book um we are putting a link to the book in the description below so that you can grab it um bill the last question i have for you Tell me about something that you see a lot of gurus or experts or people out there say is true when it comes to criticism that you might not agree with. Is there anything you want to set the record straight on? Um, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I've been speaking here about 
you know, how to deal with criticism as if criticism is something that's bad. But patently, there are some really juicy things that can come from criticism. You know, in the corporate work that I've done, um, often what will happen is the manager will criticize someone down the line. And, but unfortunately, the way that it's sometimes delivered is, is cruel, is inhumane, is unthinking. And they expect that if you just criticize someone that they'll get it and they'll change their behavior. Well, that's not necessarily so. So a lot of work now, and I, and I see this a lot, but there's a lot of more work that needs to be done with this. That if you need to give critique to someone, there's a difference between critique and criticism. Criticism is just basically a whole bunch of put downs. But critique is going, okay, I wanna help you grow as a human being. Here's some things that you can change and do differently. And so how you do that in corporations are becoming, it's like 40 years too late as far as I'm concerned, like this stuff should have been done a long, long time ago. But, you know, as human beings, we can be a little bit slow. So if someone is, is, is criticizing you uh, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, whatever it might be, we need to be the adult in the room. We need to get past the, you criticize me, I'm going to get you back, blah, 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 all that kind of revenge right. stuff, which is just so juvenile, so, so puerile. We need to be bigger than that. And, um, yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of work to be done here in Australia. Um, our, our beautiful women folk are not given all the respect that they need in our parliament in Australia we've been there's been a whole bunch of stuff about you know, how people deal with others um, that needs to be had at that very high level in government but also in business but also in a personal level you know like of all the people Steve you meet in your in your world you will be the constant <laughs> so your yeah. relationship with you is paramount. My relationship with me is paramount. Your listeners, their relationship with themselves is going to be the longest lasting relationship they will ever, ever have. And if they can up the quality of how they do their internal relating, they will be so much better off. I agree. I think that the emotional intelligence that comes with that and the ability to communicate clearly and wholly and actually hear people, so many times arguments, fights, start because you didn't like you we took something the wrong way that wasn't their intent at all yeah bill i just want to say thank you so much for coming on you have been an amazing guest i can tell you have a wealth of knowledge if you want bill's book if you know that you need help dealing with external critics and internal critics make sure you pick up the book it is in the description below bill thanks so much it's my pleasure steve absolute pleasure awesome and to everybody else out there, until next time, take action, change lives, make money, heal your inner critic, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for checking out today's show. Do you want the fast and easy Cliff Notes version of the actionable steps from today's episode? If so, go to actionbullets.com and download yours today. Also, if you're looking to start using story selling in your business and have stories do 90% of the hard work for you, grab my free course at storyselling.how today. Till next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon.